Friends, I get to talk about prayer today, and I'm excited about that. In the first service, it went a little long, it's a little bit distracted, and so I know that the 10 a.m. service is the best service to join in it today. Amen? So I need your help. If you think I'm going long, what you got to do is say amen. So if you think I'm getting too long, you just say amen. I'll be like, ooh, fast enough. Yeah, we've already got an amen already. All right, friends, thanks for joining today. Let's pray. Let's pray. Actually, on that note, why don't we pray and begin today in prayer? Gracious God, whether we're joining around the world, Australia, or we're in the room, we just acknowledge that you are a God worthy to be praised. God, I don't say you're worthy because I feel it, but because I declare it to be true. You're worthy. You are beautiful. You are high and lifted up. Lord, you are worthy of glory, of all honor and praise and thanksgiving. We pour out our lives for you because you poured out your life for us. But God, I get worried because we can say all the right things and yet still miss your presence. We can say all the right things and yet just do church again. So disturb us, Father. May we not be comforted today, but may we be made uncomfortable for the mission of God, that we might know the hand of God and the character of God. And as always, less of me, more of you. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, friends, I get to step into the second week of prayer today, and Fiona led us so well last week. She spoke about the idea that prayer is accessing the presence of God. Today, I want to start by asking a question. What's in a name? What's in a name? There's a great quote that says, a rose by any other name just wouldn't smell as sweet. And I would tend to agree, names are important. We love names. We love our own names. But as a pastor, names for me can be a little bit daunting because I'm terrible at remembering names. Anyone else out there feel that pain? Now, I I would hazard to say that I think I have a little bit more of a problem than you because I'll be walking through Rabita Town Center or I'll be going to the gym and suddenly I'll just see someone. They'll be like, Pastor Michael. And I'm like, Buddy! Right? And I forget their name. Now, for those of you who this has happened to, literally, this happens to like people I know so well. Like my wife knows I forget to put out the garbage, let alone remember people's names. But what ends up happening is we kind of throw something else in there because we're like, oh, I just don't know your name. But people love hearing the sound of their own name. In fact, you can tell about someone's relationship by what they call someone else. What I call my wife is very different than what I call you. I call my wife babe. If I was to say, hey, babe, to any of you, you'd slap me. (laughs) And appropriately so. My son and I have a very different relationship than my wife and I call my son Wolf Cup. He's my little Wolf Cup. That goes through another story that I'll tell you a different time about being raised by wolves, but we won't get there now. That's something you can ask about in the courtyard. But at night, we howl together before he goes to bed. And we're like, that's our thing. If I was to walk up to you and be like, hey, my little Wolf Cup, you'd be like, get away from me, you freaky pasta. That'd be bizarre. Right? You can tell someone's relationship by what they call somebody else. You can tell someone's relationship by what they call someone else. So two things you should take from that. Number one, if I see you in the courtyard and I say, buddy, just tell me your name. You'd be like, hey, pastor, this is my name. That'll be fine. And number two, friends, I want to ask you this question. What do you call God? What do you call God? The name that you give to God says a lot about what you know about God and says a lot about what you've experienced of God. And today we're asking the question in this series, hey, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. And Jesus begins teaching us how to pray, not by telling us what to ask God for. He doesn't teach us how to pray by teaching us how we can get what we want from God. No, he teaches us how to pray by beginning with God's name. But before we get there, he actually does two things before we get there. Before Jesus teaches us what to do, 
he actually steps forward and teaches us what not to do. Now, maybe you're here today and it's your first time in church. You're exploring faith or Christianity. You just did Alpha or someone invited you along. And I just want to say thank you for coming. I want to let you know that the gift of prayer is not the right of Christians. It's the gift to humanity. That we are all given the opportunity to communicate with the divine and eternal. And friends, that is for you today. Maybe you're here today and you're a Christian and you, like I have at times, your prayer life isn't that great right now. I want to let you know that God wants to see fire lit in your prayer life, that there is a longing for Him to show you a level of intimacy that can only be accessed through prayer. And we will be a church marked by fervent prayer. It's one of our values. It's one of our values. And so we don't want to just talk about this. We want to do this today. So we'll get there at the end. But what are the two things that Jesus says? Hey, beware when you pray. Don't do these two things. Things. Well, Matthew chapter 6, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, all the disciples are gathered around Jesus, and Jesus launches in to prayer. He says in verse 5, And when you pray, do not, everyone say, do not, be like hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Other translations will say, do not be like the Pharisees, who were seen as hypocrites. Truly, I tell you, Jesus says, they have received their reward in full, but when you pray, Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is neglected, or a better translation would be who is in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus says, don't be like two things when you pray. Don't be like the Pharisees, and don't be like the pagans. Why does he say this? Well, when he first says, he said, don't be like the Pharisees. What are the Pharisees doing? This is what they're doing, friends. I don't know if you've ever seen anyone do this. The Pharisees are performing. They wait until everyone's listening and everyone's watching. And they stand there on that street corner. They're that person in that group chat. They're that someone who goes, everyone, I have their attention. And suddenly they build the most beautiful Shakespearean prayer with vows and have nots. And, and they label it with theological terms that no one ever understands. And they're doing it not because they're praying to God, they're performing for men. And they're doing it in such a way where they're going, I hope everyone sees how holy I am by what I'm saying. And what Jesus does in this moment, he says, prayer should never be a performance. So much so that he robs us of our audience. He says, you want to start praying? Do it in secret. There's this age-old Christian quote that says, I can tell the strength of someone's private prayer life by how they pray in public. And friends, I'm going to let you know, I think this is a lie. Can I tell you why? I'm a pastor. I get paid to pray in public all the time. Now you're like, what are you saying? I'm saying sometimes my private prayer life is not that great and I can be on stage and be like, God, less of me, more of you. And be like, wow, isn't he a good prayer? And you're like, you don't know what struggles I'm got. I know how easy it is to fake it. And sometimes we know how to perform for man rather than to pray to God. And Jesus says this, you want to know if you really know prayer? I'll know. Because it'll be done in secret. That's where it starts. Friends, when we pray, maybe you're worried about what people will think. Today, you're going to learn of a God who doesn't think anything of you, but is so loving and caring and excited when you look to him and open your mouth. The second thing that Jesus says, he says, don't be like the pagans. 
Why pagans? Well, you see, pagans, they would have this machination about prayer. It'd be like this kind of ritualistic, uh, you know, repeating of words and babblings and like things that have been handed down to them. And friends, there's nothing wrong with reading, reading written prayers. Or there's times I've got a book of prayer at home that I'll read at times when I don't have the words myself. But what was happening to the pagans is they were believing that if they just repeated these babblings and these prayers, kind of saying the same thing over and over again, like an incantation, that that might move the hand of their gods and they might something might happen. And it was weird. It was bizarre. And Jesus is saying, God doesn't hear you the more you repeat yourself. God hears. Don't fall into this mechanical nature of prayer. And this is the problem of this series. When we learn the Our Father prayer in Matthew 6, we can fall into the trap of thinking, if I just pray this prayer the exact way Jesus said to, bam, I'm done. I'm just going to keep repeating it. This prayer is not so much a formula for how you should pray. It's an invitation to understand how God is and how we can interact with him in relationship. Jesus says, don't perform. Jesus says, don't prattle. His heart is that you would be authentic, that you would be real. For the God who hears our prayers is a God that can be known, a God that can be known. And friends, there's this important thing that we're going to step into today where we actually start to wrestle with what does it mean for us to know who we pray to, who we pray to. God does not want us to be just the God of our public prayers, but our private life as well. So what does Jesus say? He says, so therefore, when you pray, and what does Jesus do next? The next line in this verse says this, and when you pray, this is then how you should pray. And what does Jesus indicate as the first instruction for how we should pray? Does he give us a random position? Hey, this is then how you should pray. Sit on the ground, cross your legs, arm behind your head, and hum softly. No, that's not what he does. Does he say, sit and wait until you feel like it? No, he doesn't say that. The first thing Jesus says is he gives us words. He gives us words. And I think this is more important than we realize. Sometimes we talk about prayer and there's like this nebulous kind of understanding of like, I'm praying right now. And it is good to pray without ceasing. I believe that's helpful and important. But I think sometimes we navigate away from what prayer is because we don't know what to say. So we settle for, oh, I'm praying, but I'm just being silent before God. Now, I think silence is a really pivotal part of prayer. I practice silence all the time. I meditate on word and the scriptures and God's presence all the time. But why does Jesus begin with words? Because that's where every relationship begins. If you see a man and a woman on their first date at a restaurant and they're sitting there and they're just staring at each other and no one's talking like this, is the date going well? No, it's a train wreck. Right now, but if you have two people that have been friends or maybe together for 20 years and they're sitting there in silence, you would probably go, That is the fruit of longevity. See, relationships always begin with words. So, this is what Jesus says He says, Don't just sit with God, you can talk to God. Let me tell you how you can talk to God. Let me tell you what you can do. When I was young, um, I, I had two older sisters, and I, like most young men, I think, was a little bit afraid of talking to girls because they were this weird other to me. I was like, you know, grown up thinking they had cooties, and suddenly they were people we should be friends with. And I'm like, and one day maybe marry. Uh, so, so, instead of going and standing there and just being really awkward and not knowing what to say to a girl and just staring at them, I went and said to my sisters, How can I talk to them? And, and they would tell me and they would lead me through it. And then the beautiful part was, is that I've you know, got many friends who are girls now and I have a great wife because I learned how to speak to God. Why? Because relationships always begin by knowing how to pray. How to, not, the relationships always begin by knowing how to speak. Not all relationships begin with prayer, but with God, the words to say. And it's what Jesus does. He steps in and he tells us how we should speak. But what does he start with? He starts with the name of God. 
The first thing Jesus gives us is what do you call God when you talk to him? What do you call God when you talk to him? Pete Greig says it like this, the way we approach God in prayer is the way we view him in life. The way we approach God in prayer and the way we view him in life affects everything about everything. What's he saying here? What you say about God says what you, a lot about what you understand God to be and who you understand God to be. If we just pray to the God of gods or, 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 or with this nebulous language, we're actually robbing ourselves of relational intimacy. Because this is the whole point of the Bible. Edmund Clowney says this, the Bible does not present an art of prayer. It presents the God of prayer. Why is this significant? Because friends, most people pray. Even Anna preached last week at our 6 p.m. So she, she was talking about this research that says even atheists pray. They, they often pray this prayer, God help me in times of trial. Buddhists are praying right now. Muslims are praying right now. Prayer is not a unique thing for Christians. What is unique about the Christian prayer is not that we pray, it's who we pray to. Do you know who you pray to today? Do you know the God that is not just a figment of our imagination, but is real? And this is what Jesus says when he steps into the first part of prayer. This is then how you should pray. Our Father, he says, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now you might be sitting there today and this, this, this scripture bubbles some stuff up for you. The first thing when I read this scripture was this question. How come Jesus says our? Why doesn't he tell us that we can call God my? Have you ever wondered that? How come Jesus says our father and not my father? I'll answer that today. There's a second one where it's like, well, why do we call God father? I'm not okay with that, Michael. I'm a mother or I've had some troubles with my dad or, or there's some issues that I've got playing out here. That, that's a bit hard for me. I want to acknowledge that there's people in the room that feel that way. And I want to talk and walk us through that today because I believe God wants us to address that today. Why does it matter that God's in heaven? And what the heck does it mean to hallow your name? Has anyone hallowed anything lately? It's like, what? No matter what translation you read, it's always hallowed. And it's almost a central thing. We want to learn what it means to hallow the name of God. So where we want to begin today is simply here. What does Jesus mean when he says, our Father? What does Jesus mean when he says, our Father? The reason why this is so important, friends, do you know who you are invited to pray to? Do you know who you're invited to have relationship with? A guy named John Stott, who I've been reading the commentaries on the Lord's Prayer of, a really helpful resource you can step into today, says this, the essential difference between Pharisaic, pagan, and Christian prayer is the kind of God we all pray to. The Pharisees pray to a God who is impressed by performance. The pagans pray to a God who is like an ATM. If they do enough, then maybe he'll eject what they need. The Christians pray to a God who is imminent, who is loving, who is kind, who is known as our Father. So let's start with our. Why is it important that we pray to God as our? Everyone say our. our. Isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't say my? Why is this central? Because I think often when we talk about Jesus and we talk about God, we fall into a really dangerous trap. We fall into the trap of the modern era. We make everything individual and about me. I don't know if you've ever heard anyone say, well, my God would never. My Jesus doesn't. The God that I believe in. Do you know the Bible never really gives us permission to lay personal individual claim to God? To lay personal individual claim to who we want God to be? What Jesus is doing here is he's saying the experience of God is always something that doesn't like send you more into your individualness. It actually calls you out more into community. Too often, it is too of a dangerous thing where I hear people's terrible understanding of God justified by the words, but my God doesn't. 
What Jesus has given us is he says this, the way you know God is not just through individual experience, but communal affirmation. That you are with the people who go, yes, that's who God is. That's who we read. Why is this important? Because there's too many of us that are blinded by our subjective opinions that have the propensity to create a God we want rather than knowing the God we need. This is why Jesus says, always say, our Father. My God is the same as your God if we worship Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I want to challenge you today that if you found yourself saying, my God doesn't, it's actually not a correct statement. I do not possess God. He's not an object of my making, but someone who has found me and I have discovered we are not called to pursue God alone. We don't get to have our own personal Jesus or our own personal God. That's why Jesus says, our, why friends? Because we are always propelled into community. The Christian life is no longer about me. It is about we. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's about us. That was terrible. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's about us. Our Father, our Father. Why would God call himself Father? You see, in this moment, there is a really intimate thing that is happening here where if we just read the prayer, we kind of miss it. All throughout the Old Testament, God would describe himself. He would liken himself with metaphor. He'd say, I'm like a mother nursing a child the way I care for my people. Or I'm like a father. But the Israelites of the Old Testament were never permitted to call God by name, ever. In fact, God's name in the Old Testament was Yahweh. So holy and sacred was that name. They replaced it with another word that you may have heard called Adonai. And they said Adonai instead of Yahweh because they didn't, didn't dare utter the name of God. Why? Because God was not someone to be intimate with. God was someone to be feared and trembled before and scared of. And here Jesus rocks up into the middle of, you know, Middle Eastern uh, you know, Jerusalem. And he says, hey, guess how you pray to this God? You don't go Adonai. You don't even say Yahweh. You don't call him judge. You don't call him, you know, healer. Here's what you say. You say, Father. This would have been scandalous. As scandalous as it is today with our issues of gender and how, how we work that through, it would have been even more scandalous back then. The disciples would have been like, how dare you invite us to have such an intimate name of God? But the Greek word for father was pater. It was actually such an intimate word for Jesus to give us to call God the Father. Why is Jesus doing this? Well, friends, let me start here and then go to some of the issues we have for it. You are being invited to have Christ's relationship and standing before the Father in heaven as a child of God. Let me say this again. Jesus is inviting you to have his relationship before the Father in heaven and he's standing as a child of God. Now, this is weird. You know, when you were young, you used to go to a friend's house to stay the night and you get introduced to their parents. My parents always told me you always call them Mr. Last Name. So like Mr. Smith or Mrs. Smith. And they're like, oh, don't call me Mr. Smith. That's my dad. You can call me Jim. I'm like, sure thing, Mr. Smith. Like, that's just how I was. That's how I was raised. Can you imagine if my friend turns to me and goes, you don't have to call him Mr. Smith. You can call him daddy. I'd be like, no, that's freaky and weird. I'm not calling your father daddy. This is what Jesus is doing. He's saying, you get to call him dad. And this should bother us if we don't understand some things. Let me list some reasons why I think it does bother us. There are some reasons why it bothers us beyond just the gospel. I think it bothers us. Some of you in this room today, you're feeling confusion. Some of you are feeling horror. Some of you, walls have gone up. Because here you are again and someone's placed a gender on God or a, a apparent sexuality on God and you're going, I, I, I can't relate right now. And it hurts. 
And there are reasons why this hurt. And they're valid and they're real. Some of those reasons are because our fathers have failed us. Some of those reasons are because when we hear the word father, we think of patriarchy and the oppression that men have around the world have subjected men and women to. Some of us in this room right now, you don't have a father and you've never had a father and, and there's a sense of absence there. The reason why this is problematic is because if we allow our, our, our narrative to stop with our hurt, this is what we've done. We've allowed the failure of humanity to make us rob the identity of God. Instead of man being made in God's image, we've made God in man's image and said, he doesn't measure up, I refuse to call him father. And this is a really dangerous thing to do. Why? Because Jesus calls him father. That's what he encourages us to do. And for us to go, yeah, but maybe Jesus didn't know what he was doing. Just think about what you're saying about Jesus there, about his eternal nature. Some of us think that to call God father means that he's a male. And there's a writer named Ben Patterson to say that there is this thinking out there, since God is male, then male is God and female is less. Can I say this is heretical and not true? To say God is father does not mean God is male. It's not a gender thing. It is not about God's sexuality. The God of the Bible has no sexuality, writes Patterson. God is completely other than his creation. That's what is meant by his holiness. He's set apart. God says to the prophet Isaiah, to whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? Friends, this is not about giving God a gender. Both male and female were derived out of the image of God equally. Men and women are not created more or less in his image. See, it's not about male versus female. This isn't about God's gender. It's about God's role. Very different. A theologian named Catherine Beattie, this beautiful woman, says this, If the referent of the word father is painful, broken, and stumbling block for many of our neighbors, it's fathers, not the language, who need reform. Maybe more men need to get comfortable with being nurturing and showing emotion. Maybe more dads need to stay faithful to their families when they want to bail. Maybe all of us need to hold men accountable for treating women like co-rulers and not subordinates, that women should never be treated like less but equals. This is the reason why we have an issue with God as Father. Now I want to say this today, if you're a man in the room and you have children, you ought to know this, that we have a dangerous weight on our life, that when we say to children, hey, I am like God, or you've got to come under my authority, or we have a perverse way of being a dad, we can hurt how they see the Father in heaven. The greatest thing I can do to Archer is not say, hey, trust me as you trust God. The greatest thing I can do to Archer is say, Archer, I will fail you as your father, but there is a Father in heaven who will be far better than I am trying to reflect him, but where I fail, look to him, don't look to me. You've got to know this, friends. And for those of you in this room who have been hurt by fathers, know this, that there is a father in heaven who doesn't want you to know him as a male, but know him as a loving role who seeks you out, who will never leave you, never abuse you, never hurt you, and never push you down, but elevate you and allow you to flourish. This is what it means for God to be the father. So when Jesus comes to say our father, he's not trying to subject us to oppression. He's trying to elevate our status to childhood. For those of us who don't understand the word pata, this is not a sign of authority, but intimacy. There are many words of authority for God. He is Adonai, He is Yahweh, He is our healer, He is our judge. He is all in all, the Alpha and the Omega, but only in this moment do we hear the word Father. Why? Because Jesus is saying, you can have an intimacy with God like you have never experienced with anybody else. That if you're a child of God and you walk into His throne room, you don't walk in scared, you walk in to crawl into His lap and say, Dad, I need you. He says, my child... I'm here. Timothy Keller would say it like this. God is just, Timothy Keller would say it like this. He says, the God of the Bible, no, I've lost it. Here we go. Jesus lost his relationship with the Father. Why? 
so that we could have a relationship with God as a father. Jesus was forgotten so that we could be remembered forever. From everlasting to everlasting, Jesus Christ bore all the eternal punishment that our sins deserve. This is the cost of prayer. Jesus paid the price so God could become our Father. Friends, when Jesus invites you to see God as Father, what he's inviting you in is he's saying, I died a death that you should have died after living a life that you could not live, not so that you might feel guilty, but that you might be freed from guilt, but so you might have a new relationship. So you're not trying to earn the approval of an earthly present, a parent, but you know you have the approval of an eternal Father, not based Based on your performance, but based on his. He loves you. He comes for you. And when he sees the prodigal coming home, he doesn't call you to run to him. What does he do? He runs for you. Our God in heaven is a good father. And when we say our father, we're reminded not of fear, but we're reminded of safety. We're reminded of a moment where we don't come trembling. We come in awe and wonder, but with a bold humility, friends. Do you know God as father today? For those of you who don't, can I say this? That for those of you that this is painful for, I want to suggest maybe that's the Holy Spirit saying, I want to heal what man has broken. God wants to redeem. Would you let him? Because his father isn't just our father. The Bible tells us it's not just about our father, but that he is in heaven. Why does Jesus think it's important for the Father we pray to to be in heaven? Because when we say our Father, this is what we do. We make God come imminent and close in our minds. We understand that God is imminent. What do I say by imminent? To be imminent means that He is very close to us. But what in heaven does is it reminds us that God is also transcendent. That He is holy. That unlike anybody in your life, God has no sin in Him, no darkness in Him. He is perfect, He is loving, and He is powerful. John Stott says that heaven is not God's heavenly abode. When we pray, we don't say our Father in heaven like, oh, I've got to look up. That's where heaven is. No, no, no. That's not what it means to pray to God. When we say our Father in heaven, we're reminded He sits on the throne of the universe and everything is under His power. Why does this change? We can call the one who runs everything dad and He listens but we can also bring him the smallness and the bigness of the things that are weighing us down. And no, not only can he handle it, not only is he in charge, but, not, but also he cares about it. He cares about it. I grew up with my dad being the principal of my school. My mom and my dad were both in leadership at our, our school when I was in primary school. My mom was the bursar and my dad was the principal. And it was like this sense where everyone else knew him as you know, Mr. Hands or Pastor Hands. He was the, the, the leader of the place and I knew him as dad. It was a bit confusing at times because sometimes I would have to see him as principal and sometimes I'd just see him as dad. And there would be these moments where my dad would get uh, the, the admin team to call out my name over the PA. He'd be like, Michael Hands, can you please come to the office? And everyone would be like, ooh, what? What's Michael done? Because some people didn't know he was my father. And I knew that this meant one of two things. I was in a lot of trouble or he had my lunch for me. And so it was like, you know, a bit PTSD. I'm like, which way is this going to go? And sometimes it was that I was in trouble. In fact, my dad would tell my teachers that if I ever misbehaved, just go send him straight to the principal's office. It's horrible. But the other thing was, after school, when I was hungry, I knew where I could go. I could walk into a place where no one else would walk. Other kids, when they were walking to the principal's building, they'd be like, oh, no. We're in the principal's building. Me? I'm like, ah, I'm going to go see dad. And dad would know where the best food was. When I walked into my mom's office, other people would be like, man, she handles all the finances of the school. I'm like, nah, mom knows where all the best food and all the comforting stuff is. And there was this sense of boldness and knowing, well, they are in charge. And when I go in there, they'll know what to do. That's what we're talking about here. Some of us have forgotten that our God is in charge that our God is in control, that this God who is in heaven hasn't neglected his responsibility to run the world well. 
Tim Keller says it like this, prayer is the way to experience powerful confidence that God is handling our lives well, that our bad things will turn out for good, our good things cannot be taken from us, and the best things are yet. When we pray, our Father in heaven, we are knowing who God is and where he sits, and we can trust him. And friends, if you struggle with knowing who God is as Father, if you struggle trusting where he sits and how he can be trusted, what should we do? We do two things. We read the word and we look to the word. When you struggle with the character of God to be trusted, read the narrative of Scripture and ask yourself, what is the God of Scripture being revealed? And if that's too hard because you're like, man, it's so big, I don't know if I can do it, then where do we go? We go to God made flesh in Hebrews where it says that the very nature and character of God the Father was imprinted and made flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what God is like as Father, read who Jesus is as the Son. He is kind. He is just. He is loving. He is holy. There's no separation between the character of God and character of Jesus. And so we get to the last part of this prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. What does it mean for us to hallow the name of God? This is a weird one. We don't use this term in our common vernacular, right? Hey guys, what are you doing today? Just going to go hallow some stuff. Just thinking about hallowing a whole bunch of different things. You know, if I was to say that to you, what, what would you say? You'd be like, what, what the heck does it mean to hallow? And the truth is, we've lost what it means to hallow, and so we've forgotten to hallow the name of God. This in this moment, I want to highlight, is not a statement that God's name is hallowed. It's actually a request. God, hallowed be your name. Make your name hallowed. What's it asking God to do? Reveal your glory to the world. For asking us, for, God, for us to ask God to hallow your name, it's to say, show us the beauty, the wonder, and the might of our Father who sits in heaven. To hallow the name of God is to highlight that it is holy. It's to highlight that it is high and lifted up. And I just want to say this, friends. I think we have forgotten how to do this well. We come to God and we respond to God if we think he has adequately responded to us. Rather than actually, before we ask anything of God, before we run through the matrix of God, have you performed for me lately, recognizing that God in and of himself is worthy to be praised? Not even the cross of Jesus Christ makes God more worthy. He was always worthy. He was always holy. And what happened in the Garden of Eden is that man forgot the holy beauty and majesty of God and became so consumed with themselves. Jesus doesn't just teach us how to talk to God. He also teaches us how to view God. I actually think we're not that bad at hallowing names as we think we are. If I were to say to you today, friends, um, got a bit of a surprise. Brad Pitt's about to come into the auditorium. Who's excited, right? Or maybe you're like, I hate Brad Pitt. Julia Roberts is about to come into the audience. Or I don't know who it is for you. I'm just trying different generational stuff here. But let's say one of those people come in the or into the congregation. There would be a ripple in the room. Some of you don't know who Brad Pitt and Julia Roberts is. That's fine. But many of you, you'd be like, wow, I didn't know they were Christian. Did you know they were Christian? This is amazing, right? Because what have we done? We've elevated the name of movie stars above every other name. We've said they are other. We've said they're something better. We said there's something holy, but they're just humans. And we forget to do this with God. Brad Pitt has done nothing like God has done to be deserving of your praise. Julia Roberts has done nothing. Whoever it is for you, 
These are far less than who and what God is. And yet we come and we decide if we want to raise our hands in worship based on whether James chose the right song. I didn't say that in the 8 a.m. service. Your reaction helps me understand why. (laughs) Right? God is not worthy to be praised because we play the right song. He is worthy to be praised. He is good. He is God. He is holy. And there's a moment where we are missing out on His beauty because we fail to remind ourselves of this. Friends, we are called to adore God. And we've forgotten how to do that. There's a guy named Josh Bell. Josh Bell was a virtuoso. For those of you who don't know what that is, I didn't know what it was either. And so I researched it. It's a violin expert. Someone who's amazing at a, as a classical instrument. He's a violin player. And back in 2007, he was selling out arenas and stadiums worldwide. He'd play through Bach's concertos. And this beautiful sound. And they decided the Washington Post to do, a, to do a, a test. How, if people, would they recognize him in the common every, everyday life? So what they did is they got Josh to put on a busker outfit and he, he stood in the middle of Washington DC Metro Terminal and he played the same concert he was about to play that night, but for everyone for free. And they just wanted to see what would happen. Over many hours, thousands of commuters just passed him by without pausing to stop. They just saw him as another mundane event in their life. Why? Because they were so preoccupied with what was in front of them. They missed the beauty of what was happening around them. You know, he gets paid thousands and thousands of dollars per show. And over those six hours, he only earned $32 from busking. And we laugh, I would have stopped. Would you? Because friends, we don't even stop for God. And this world is broken. This world is filled with so much darkness. But there are breaking ins of God's glory and reality to remind us, hey, there is still beauty here as I make myself known in this world. Every time we see a sunset, is it not a reminder that God is painting a canvas for us to say, hey, there is still beauty just before the darkness. I am still present. I am real. When you look at another human and you realize that their eye is filled with one million optical nerves, they have to meet the other one millionth optical nerve coming from their brain in the moment of being formed in their womb. Otherwise, they're blind for life. And we go, oh my gosh, this is beautiful. When we see things on TV like the Northern Lights, or we realize that we live in one of the most beautiful cities in the world that we have moment to pause and go, wow, is not God beautiful? I have breath in my lungs. What did you do to deserve oxygen, friends? And yet you still get it every day. And we want more reason from God than even the fact he sent his son to die, that you might have life and love and hope and forgiveness to the full. And in response to this, Jesus says, before you ask of him, before you bequest of him, before you come before God and say, I need, we come before God and say, you are, you are my father. You are in heaven and hallow your name today, God. Why? Because this world needs to know out of everything we're called to adore, only you are worthy. To adore the name of God is not to thank God. Could you imagine if all you did for your significant other was to thank them and never adore them? Hey, Sarah, thanks so much for dinner last night. Hey, Sarah, thanks so much for, you know, Cleaning up the house. Hey, Sarah, thanks so much for picking up the kids. Hey, Sarah, thanks so much for you know, going to work today. Hey, Sarah, thanks so much for you know, organizing our finances so well. Imagine this is the only thing I ever said to my wife. She'd go, you only care for me for what I do for you. This is why I say to Sarah, hey, you are beautiful. Hey, man, I love your joy. Did you get your hair cut? You look fantastic. She did, by the way. And what am I doing in that moment? I'm thanking her for who she is, not what she's done. The haircut thing, that's a little bit confusing. But who she is and what she's done. Friends, we don't do this enough with God. 
God, we thank you for dying. on. Yeah, it's good that he died on the cross, but he was also, also worthy before Jesus. He's always been worthy. He will always be worthy so much. So when the angels are found in his presence, you know what they cry out? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Father of heaven and earth, the whole world erupts with your glory. In Luke chapter 19, when people are calling out to Jesus and they're saying, holy are you, King of Israel, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. The disciples are like, guys, this is awkward. Stop saying this stuff about Jesus. What does Jesus turn to them and say? Do not silence them. If you silence them, what's gonna cry out? The rocks will cry out, why? Because the natural way, the natural form of creation is to give glory to God in his goodness. Friends, do you know how to glorify God today? Do you know how to glorify God today? What do we do when we pray? We declare who God is, where God is, and we give him adoration. Because you know what it does? It reminds us that before we come before him and ask, we say, this is who you are and we worship. Maybe you're, you're new to church today, new to creation and new to Christianity today, and you're like, hang on, wait, what? We worship God? Like, but what's God done for me? You know, something happens in the Christian heart where we recognize that the actual start of sin is to acknowledge who God is and what he is worth. That's why we worship. And I want to encourage you, if you don't know Jesus today, that from whatever else you're worshiping or adoring in your life, he is far stronger and more worthy than anything else you're giving your time or attention to. If we're going to be marked by people of prayer and new life, here's my hope that we would be a people marked by adoration. When Josh Bell was playing in the metro station, one lady stopped. She'd seen him three nights before and she, her breath was taken back. Here was Josh Bell playing for free. <gasps> Another guy came along. He didn't look at Josh. What did he look at? He looked at her. What's she looking at? Oh, Wow. Four or five people did the same thing. Why? Because one person knew this was worthy of adoration. Others were caused to pause. When you come to church, when you live your life, when you see sunsets and you say, thank you, God, you are worthy. When we lift our hands and we praise, there are people in this room who are looking at you going, what the heck are you doing? And then they look at God and go, oh. Sometimes adoration is one of the greatest ways we can point people to the gospel and goodness of God. What are you doing? Would you stand with me across the room? I reckon, James, let's go to... Um, it then sings my soul. We were going to do a different song, so just... You know, the band is phenomenal. We'll just wait before we play Big Dog. Big Dog, sorry, we're uh, Pastor James. <laughs> sorry for those online who are like, this is bizarre. Friends, this is all I want to do. I want us to just pause and wait. Would you just close your eyes with me? Who is God to you? Who is God to us? He doesn't need your adoration. You need your adoration. Because it repositions the heart of man to see reality right, to see God right, and to see ourselves right. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pray, Our Father in heaven. Just wait for 30 seconds. And what I want to ask if you would do,
I wonder if you would adore God with me. Maybe the only thing you can say is, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's great. Just pray that. But this is Jesus' invitation to also use your own words. Maybe you want to say something else like, God, you are beautiful. God, you are faithful. And what if just in this moment we heard a dull rumbling across this place of people opening their mouths and speaking to God? Friends, because it's a crowd, trust me, you're more in secret than you know. So in a moment, when I say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, I'll just wait for 30 seconds. And don't wait for someone else. Why don't you just step in and just say, Hey, God, you are. And adore God with me. Maybe you just want to say those words after I've said them. But let's practice this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Friends, lift up your voices. Let us adore God together. You are worthy. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. As I was praying for us this morning, waiting in the Holy Spirit, before I do that, let me just pray this. Come Holy Spirit. Whether we're online or in the room, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. There's some people in the room right now who God is saying to you, I want to heal that wound. I want to redeem what man has broken. I want you to know me as father. And that's hard for you. And you're like, I don't know if I can. I just want to let you know, since God, when I was praying to you this morning, just saying, that's okay. But I don't want you to stay here. Would you let me lead you just to the next stage of healing? Just to the next stage. If that's you today, I just wonder if you open your hands in front of you. Maybe it's a heavy earthly father that hurt you, wasn't present. Maybe it's a parent that hurt you or wasn't present, so you can't trust God as a parent. Holy Spirit, move in power. Lord Jesus, there are just people with their hands open today and they're struggling to believe our Father is a good thing. But I believe in the mighty name of Jesus Christ that you want to heal. There are some men today who feel the weight of maybe confusing, and mothers too, of confusing their children when they think about God. If that's you today, if you're just feeling that today, mother or father, would you open your hands as well? God, in our imperfections, you are perfect. Where we fall short, you stand true. I pray we would just get out of the way. Forgive us of our shortcomings and teach us to forgive those who have failed us. Jesus, thank you for giving us access to the presence of God, not just as people, but as children. So we cry, Abba, Father. Dad, you are worthy to be praised.